The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Okay, so uh, a biblical view of personality. Okay, people are coming in and we'll uh, just let them keep coming in. Don't try it, please. Uh, I'm not responsible for the audio-visual stuff. Uh, it's, I hate computers. You know, I think, here's my theology of computers, okay? <laughs> they have replaced pigs in the post-apostolic era. <laughs> so, when demons are cast out, they ask to go into computers. <laughs> and then your hard drive crashes, you lose all your data, and then you run and throw yourself into the heart of the sea. Okay? That's my theology of computers. Okay? I think you're on to something there you go. Uh, I've never met a computer that likes me. Okay? They're like on the scale of being just above cats. Sorry. Now, look, all you cat lovers, is there ever been a cat that really likes you? No. No, it is not true. They use you, they're users. Cats are demonic users, that's it. So when the demons leave the computers, maybe cats, okay? Um, We've had cats and and interesting cats, but I'm highly allergic to cats. Right? Cats are what you do. Sorry, I've offended everybody already. See, I tell you, bad person. Yeah, we had a cat once. And it was a stray cat. Look, look at this. Could, you have lost all control. Look, okay, okay. Let's, let's, we're going to pray. Not because you need it, but I do. I taught Tim Lane all his sins. So. So, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to this subject which... Uh, we all think we know something about and really know real little. And, Lord, a lot really hasn't been done systematically on this, even in biblical counseling. And so, Lord, we pray that as we kind of go through a first cut, you might trigger off in people's minds here the desire to study the Scriptures and trying to think this through. Bless us for your glory and for our good in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, uh, Again, page 133 in your notes. Um, Since this isn't recorded, I'll sit down, okay? Uh, Jesus taught sitting down. I'll do that like we're in the synagogue. People have always wanted, we're going to follow the notes, get through them quickly, and then let you ask a lot of questions because I'm sure you'll have them because I still do, okay? Okay. People have always wanted to understand people, both themselves and others. Isn't that right? Right? And everybody sort of is in this junior psychology mode. If you ever go to graduate school in psychology, which I have done, uh, basically most of the people are there to try to figure out who they are. And that's really scary because you think, like, these are going to be the counselors that are helping people. They have no idea who they are, but that's really the way it is. Uh, people want to predict how people will act, right? Especially if they could be violent. You know, you, you want a head start. Uh, prediction gives you the power to plan, right? 
If you know what's going to happen, whether you're playing sports or whether you're in a real literal war, knowing what's going to happen is really helpful. Uh, really, really helpful. Some people get neurotic about it. If any of you are soccer fans, you know, in the last uh, UEFA championship over, and, and uh, not the one that's going on now, but uh, Peter Czech, who is a goalie from the Czech Republic, that really is his name, Peter Czech. He is a Czech. Uh, plays for Chelsea. He studied all the penalty kicks that his opponents did for the last five years. And that's why they won that, that game. He, he wanted to predict how people would approach their penalty kicks. Uh, it gives you, uh, prediction gives you the power to protect from possible danger. If you're in warfare. Or, you know, if you know somebody's going to attack you, you can lock your door. Prediction gives you the power to produce more efficient living on all kinds of different levels. So people like to do that. Now, every counseling system has a paradigm of man's purpose and personality. Who is man? What's wrong with him? How do you fix it? I actually had a course like that in graduate school. Brilliant design. Brilliant design. This woman was not a believer, but her mother was, as best as I could tell. And we walked into class the first day. It was counseling psychology, the course. She says, you have a, you have a paper, a 10-page paper due next week. You have to answer these three questions. Who is man? What's wrong? And how do you fix it? Now, I want to tell you, I, I never saw many graduate students kind of going, oh, oh, who's man? What's man? I just got saved in seminary. Piece of cake. Romans 1, 2, and 3. I mean, what's hard about this? I, thought, I hope graduate school is this easy. Okay? You know, I got answers for that one, right? And that was a brilliant design because then you read all the psychologists and you saw films and, and then you wrote the same paper at the end of the semester. Of course, you can guess. I went up to her. She says, I, stop. Let me guess. I'm going to get Romans 1, 2, and 3 again. <laughs> I said, got it. I said, can I critique them from a biblical perspective? Okay, go ahead. Uh, but that really, every system uh, wants to uh, think those things through. Now, I got a bunch of stuff to research, and I was going to bring it up here and read it, but it would take too much time because I want to concentrate on Scripture. But you can go into all the pop stuff like Wikipedia, look up personality, look up personality traits, and other things like that, and they're relatively accurate, you know, give or take what you know, Wikipedia really is. So if you want to study what people think in trait theory, see, everybody's trying to say that. What makes you, you? Now, here's something that's not in the outline. This intrigues me and always has for 40 years of ministry. The Bible does not seem to be as interested in what makes you different from other people, but what? How you're, the, how you're very similar to other people. And in fact, the whole biblical theology goes like this. You are like someone else. It's called Adam. <laughs> you need to be like the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And the scriptures talks in those kind of big categories. So all systems have this. And under, again, 2B, we'll focus on man's purpose and the idea of personality in the context of these basic questions. Sorry, 
That's okay, no problem. What's man's purpose? Okay, Westminster uh, uh, Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The larger catechism, to fully enjoy Him forever. Okay, so that's the purpose. Uh, Man originally was created in God's image. Still maintains that to a limited extent in spite of sin. Now, what was man? He was God's... I'll stand up so I can see the people in the back. Prophet, priest, and king, right? Man was to tell God's word and will to the whole creation, render up worship even before the fall, and to, as king and queen, to rule over the earth. Now, sin messed that up terribly, but we see what? It's restored in the second Adam, who is what? Our great prophet, priest, and king. He's what? The one who tells us the will of God, the final will of God. He's the one that intercedes for us as well as laying down his life for us. And he's the one that rules over us and conquers us and all our enemies. And so, that's who man is as far as the scripture is concerned. Now, does that have any practical value or coinage when you sit down and say, let's talk about personality? I think it does. Uh, Now, I can mention this. Uh, uh, When I mention the word personality in American context, what do you think of? What are some of the characteristic or traits? Of course, who said that? You get A back there. Extrovert, introvert. And, of course, you're an extrovert because you're talking. (laughs) So we put you on the Richter scale of... uh, And look at the color you're wearing, too. No, Now, wait a minute. See, she's a winter... No, I mean, okay. (laughs) Okay. 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 Do you see my point, though? Uh, Okay, if you go into Wikipedia, look it up. The, The claim is Hippocrates, back in Greek times... Uh, and, and people after that, they're the ones that came up with this idea. The four humors. It's not good jokes like I tell, but the humors were, you know, black bile and yellow bile and, you know, that kind of thing because they want to say, this is what makes people who they are. Now, see, if you think that through and think about it, pray it through and look at your scriptures, how would you go about this? What are the secular paradigms and the, and the, and the Christian paradigms? Well, to finish this out, man's personality, you can look at the shorter catechism or larger catechisms in man's problem. Who is man? Man is the image bearer of God. Now, why are you and I ugly? I'm stuck with the genes God gave me, but I'm talking about, you know, morally. Why am I ugly? Because I have the wrong God, right? Jesus says a very simple principle. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So your God, whatever it is, is like iron filings. Man is heart-driven and heart is treasure-driven. Simple. And that's the way the Bible defines us. So if I have a God that is no God and materialism what do I do? I'm Pol Pot, I kill what? Millions of people. Or a mousy tongue, and I say what? <laughs> so we have a land war. We've got plenty of Chinese. So we lose a million, what's the big deal? You see, why? Because the God you serve affects who you are. 
Now again, it's, we all have our own sins, but not to pick on all different cultures. But why do certain Indian people have a lot of sex trade and other things? Because you have wicked gods that are ba basically sexual perverts. So if that is your god, I'm still trying to figure out why the Chinese got on the women's feet, you know, and kind of bound them and stuff. I'm trying to figure that one out. But the bottom line is your god begins to dictate who you are. And if we think in those terms, I think you'll get farther. Because, you see, when people say extrovert, introvert, well, that may be true. People may differ on that. But what does that tell you? You may be an extrovert here, but in another group, you know, if they're all PhDs and know something and you don't know anything, <laughs> you zip the lip and you don't do anything, right? So uh, the context you know, also can uh, tell us who we are. So I want to go through this biblically, but just to, to give you some uh, taste of this, I, I went to our uh, seminary library and looked up some things. Uh, someone sent me this book. It wasn't there because it doesn't exist in English, but this first one, Systematic Theology, M.F. Roos, Fundamentals of Psychology out of the Sacred Scriptures, thus collected, so that those sayings assembled concerning the soul and its efficient power may be arranged as well as explained. You may say, I'm glad that's not translated into English. Okay, <laughs> But, the, but there, this is a Reformed pastor in Germany back in the 1700s, and what he tried to do is go all through Scripture on heart, soul, spirit, all those exegetical things, and collect them and say, okay, as now psychology is becoming kind of uh, an empirical science, it has to be informed by the exegesis of Scripture as God defines man. I said this in another seminar. I met some very nice and highly intelligent ignoramuses in graduate school. I'm serious. PhDs who are nice people, who are smarter than me, who basically were in completely ignorant because they had no view of man, who he was, what's wrong, and how to fix it. So Roos went through to try to do this. Uh, some of you might know uh, some of the driest commentaries in the world, but Delich, Kyle and Delich, F.J. Delich, A System of Biblical Psychology, published in 1855 and then republished in 1866. He tried to take a trichotomy position, body, soul, and spirit, and exegetically defend it. I'm just going through that, that I'm not the first person who's tried to do this. There are people. You've got some newer stuff. Uh, H. Bovink, uh, a reform uh, theologian, Biblical and Religious Psychology. And that was done in 1974. Uh, Oswald Chambers, some of you know that name. Biblical Psychology, a series of preliminary studies Second edition, no date on that, published in London. Uh, R.J. Rushdooney, Revolt Against Maturity, A Biblical Psychology of Man. A lot of interesting essays in that book. And then a fellow who graduated with his demon from Westminster in Philadelphia and worked for CCF for a while, who, um, I'm sure this doesn't excite you, but it does me. He's in the church that I pastored in New Jersey. Michael Bobick has a double doctorate, Ph.D., and a, a demon. His demon project was from slavery to sonship, a biblical psychology for pastoral counseling. 
just to kind of, you know, the thorns and stuff. First. <laughs> Don't want to narc on, on Trip and the other guys, but... Now, maybe historically he got it from them, I don't know, but uh, there he did that in 18, uh, 1988. So all these are attempts, uh, not just academic, but pastorally, to try to say, look, how's the Bible describe people? See, that's the raw materials, friends, that you need to develop, and, and I'm challenging somebody here, maybe somebody with a seminary degree or a graduate degree that knows Hebrew, knows Greek, to really sit down and, and say, okay, in... 2012 and 13 in the modern world, what, what does the scripture say to us about human beings? We've got a lot of good stuff. We had a lot of good stuff that we saw in the model that, that Tim Lane gave us that he and, and Tripp worked on. But really, in a sense, it's not a full explanation of the biblical terminology. And I, and I really think that needs to be done. God's Word, Psalm 8, Proverbs 3, Ecclesiastes, all of these things are there. Therefore, I think we must mind the depths of God's word to gain his perspective and paradigms. Well, that's preliminary to say this. First main point. Said already, man is what? The image bearer of God. Now, some people will argue, what is that? I'm not sure we have a full explanation. But you all looked in the mirror, right, today? Some of it's questionable, I think. Some of you may not have looked in the mirror, okay? But when you looked in the mirror this morning, what did you see? Your image, right. You didn't see yourself. Most people say, I saw myself. Not quite, okay? Because if your husband or wife came in and started kissing the mirror, you go, yo, hello. That's just the reflection. I'm the reality over here, you see? Uh, Man is the reflection of who God is. In the Old Testament, Genesis 1, let us make man in in our image. That's not the angels. That's God speaking to himself. Probably a vague reference to the Trinity, but he's talking to himself. Then, very interesting. Someone read for us Genesis 5.1. I think you know what it says, but it would be good for someone to read it. Anybody who gets it, read it out. Genesis 5, 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man and made him in the likeness of God. Okay. Okay. It doesn't go on beyond that. Go one more. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Okay. I must have the wrong reference. I thought that was where... Adam had a man in his own image. He gave birth to a son in his likeness. Is that, isn't that five one? Or did I get that wrong? Six one? Okay, so. That's it. Is that one or two? That's three. Okay, I'm sorry. Bad reference. Correct that in your, in your notes, okay? I'm not infallible and errant, okay? Nor are my notes. And I'm responsible for the notes, not the... Not the IBCD. Okay, um, so here it is. Here's God's image. We're God's image bearers, and why? We give birth to someone in the likeness of us. Or in the Luke genealogy, remember it goes back, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, Adam, the son of 
God. See, so that's the connection. Now that should that should trigger off on us us say, okay, wait a minute. I don't extrovert, introvert might be interesting, but I don't think that quite catches it. Whether you're outgoing or shy, does that really catch the importance of who you are? See, it, it might be significant, but it really isn't the core of who you are. So you've got the Old Testament, Psalm 115. Um, if you'll turn there, it's very interesting. The psalmist in Psalm 115 is almost saying what I referred to in the New Testament, uh, and it's there already in the Old. Remember, it's talking about the idols. You know, they make their idols, and what about the... Uh, here's what they say, verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. I think you're getting it, right? Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. But what? Chitta ching. What's verse? They, those who make them become what? Like them. You make a dumb idol, you will become deaf and dumb like them. So all who trust in them. So you see the New Testament concept of slavery? Whoever gives himself over to sin becomes what? Slave. You can't go one-on-one with sin and win. Even if you're a Christian, have the Holy Spirit. But if you grieve Him, you go one-on-one with sin, you, you, you won't win. You see, you become a slave to the God that you serve. So that's the dynamic. So if we understand that, therefore, in Matthew 6, I quoted that before, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's the dynamic. Man is heart-driven, and the heart is treasure-driven. And so the point is, is Jesus your treasure? So that's the core of personality. What's the God that you serve? Or... To go back to someone, I'm sorry my voice is too nice to do it, but <clears throat> got to serve somebody. <clears throat> maybe the devil, or maybe the Lord. That's, some of you young ones don't know that. It's Bob Dylan, okay? You know, you got to serve somebody. Maybe the devil, or maybe the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. That's the bottom line. We are made servants. See, so all this stuff comes as the background for personality. Two, I believe... And I think I'm not wrong in this. I think there are two basic antithetical people groups in the Bible. Unregenerate covenant breakers and regenerate covenant keepers. That's, that's the great division in sheep and goats, whatever analogy you want to use. That's the way the Bible describes. Here's someone who's serving someone other than the living God that's one general personality category. And the second one is what? People who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and who are His. You know, and I think you would all agree with that as Bible believers. That's the real division. It's not racial. It's not ethnic. It's, it's none of that stuff. In case you ever thought about that, and some of you still may do that. Uh, I shouldn't go there. That's, that's a rabbit trail. But, you know, it's like Jews, non-Jews. What was a perfect Jew? What, you kidding you know, Rahab, and there was never a pure ethnic Jew. There's never an ethnicity thing. It's a people of God, non-people of God. That's the division. See, so when you come to this, and I don't know any personality theory 
by a secular person that even takes this on board. No living God, no treasure heart issue, and saying, okay, you have what? A redeemed heart that can now respond to God in some way and begin to reflect His character. What? The character of God. Love, joy, peace, patience. All All the stuff that we've been talking about. So you see how rich the Scripture is. So you go through this. Unregenerate covenant breakers, you know, Genesis 4. You got what? Cain's line and Seth's line. That's the divide, okay? Sorry for, won't even mention names, but you know some of them. It's not that, you know, angels are having sex with humans and these great hybrids come out. I mean, that's Star Wars stuff, okay? It is... The covenant line intermarrying with non-regenerate people, it's rebels that people should know better. Satan's chief tactic from day one is to get non-believers marrying believers and messing things up. You're not saved by your parents, but I'll tell you, my biggest problem, my first church, people who married non-believers and the havoc that it reaches with children when you try to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. No fellowship of light and darkness. So that's what the Scripture is saying. Genesis 4. Excuse me. You've got this unregenerate covenant breakers, and then you've got regenerate covenant keepers. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Ephesians 2. And you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sin in which you walk, according to the prince of the power of the air, you know the whole passage, but God. See the great divide. And by the way, I, I trust you're all really genuinely converted. If I could get to seminary unconverted, you could get to an IBCD conference and still not be regenerate. The bottom line is that those are the two kinds of people in the world. And you see, I think that's the beginnings of a personality theory that we need to sit down and think through. Okay? And so God, I think, gives us the third point is there's, I think, rich nuances under both of these. See, it's not just unregenerate people, and regenerate people, people of the Lord's or not, but it gives more details, doesn't it? Now, this isn't fully worked out, so this is challenging. Okay? Look at unregenerate men in the Old Testament. Look at the Psalms. But particularly what? Psalm, first Psalm. You know that real well. Blessed. See, that's the whole theme for the Psalms and really for Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, all the wisdom literature, right? Here, here's the man that walks what? In the council. Ooh, that's an interesting word. Oh, council of the ungodly. Don't get me started. If you send a person to an unregenerate counselor, how can he or she come out looking like Jesus? Hmm? Jesus said, here's a principle. When the pupil is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Friends, you may learn some good principles of organization or maybe even communication principles from a non-Christian, but you can't learn Jesus from an unregenerate person. And if you get discipled by an unregenerate person, it will not be the production of the fruit of the Spirit. See, So Psalm 1 makes this real clear. Here's the one who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, 
But here's, here's why you need biblical counsel, right? Day and night, 24-7, you need who? The Holy Spirit. Because He's the water that flows out of Christ. You know, John, you know, the Feast of Tabernacle. That's the rivers of living water. You know, that He says to the woman at the well, Lady, you should ask Me for water because I'll give you water that you'll never what? Thirst again. She says, whoa, give me that water. Okay? Go get your husband. I don't have one. You're right. You had five, and the guy that you're, my wife says don't say this, but shacking up with, but, you know, the, the guy that you're living with isn't your husband. Oh, I see you're a prophet. Well, what would you say to Jesus after he nails you? <laughs> yeah? So she starts talking religious talk or whatever. But you see, the, the rivers of living water come from the Holy Spirit, and whatever your view of the gifts of the Spirit, etc., I think we would all have to agree the primary, if not the only, and I would say exclusive place is what? The Word. The Word either preached, read, shared, whatever. It's what? It is the Word of God that comes and washes away sin and produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. That's the, two, that's the differentiation. And uh, to prepare for this, I, I have the notes. They're, they're not legible to anybody but me. I went through Psalm 1 to 150. I went through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And this, the, the, the divide there is what? The wise and the wicked. The foolish. That, that antithesis goes right through. And that's, by the way, why the world does not like us. Because we talk in black and white terms, and the world likes multicolored. And if you, that's the, that's the sin in America right now, is to say there's absolute truth. Uh, I got in a fight with one of my professors in graduate school over that. He says, there's one absolute truth, that there is no absolute truth. And I said to him, that's an absolute statement. He's the only guy that didn't mark on a curve. I'm not resentful. I am. Gave me a C in the midterm, and the final was worth twice as much, and I got an A, and he still gave me a B in the course. Maybe it's because of what I said to him, but you know. I said, you guys that uh, do your research are like golfers. You, know, you all do your research, and then you come back to the clubhouse, you adjust it to, you know, variable, and then you publish it. He didn't like that analogy, so maybe I got myself in trouble. Yeah, right. but, but, but go through this. Uh, the Old Testament, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, sinner, evil, wicked, scoffer, scorner, simple, youth, fool, perverted tongue, foreign woman, adulterer, treacherous, violent, sluggard. It's, it's almost comprehensive, but those are the kinds of terms. That, I think, is the biblical view of personality for the unregenerate person. And there's enough variances in there, right? Wicked covers the whole kind of thing. But, you know, simple or scorner or youth, uh, you know, it's there. That's how God describes the unregenerate person. Ecclesiastes is the same. The prophets. New Testament. Look at Romans 1 through 3. Professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. And God gives them over to what? 
sinful desires, sinful thinking, and it produces what? I mean, here's, here's a nice description of personality. Let's turn to Romans 1. You say, well, they're actions. Well, yeah, but they, they describes the habitual patterns of people, which is exactly what people want when it gets down to this. They are filled with all manners of, this is verse 29, uh, all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's a bunch of personality traits, isn't it? There's a functional definition of the unregenerate man or woman and how they interact with God and other people. See, I think that's the beginnings of a personality description. Okay? You've got uh, similar things in, in Romans 8. And here's a description of the unregenerate person. And this affects people's personality, whatever the individual characteristics might be. Look at verses 5 through 8 of Romans 8. For those who ha- live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit big S, Spirit, Holy Spirit, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it what? Cannot. The person who is not born again cannot imitate Jesus Christ and reflect His glory, which is the glory of the Father. See, these who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, I think you can see developing uh, at least a, a, a basic description of life apart from the Holy Spirit and apart from the regenerating work of God, which comes out as we see in the Proverbs or as we read in the Romans passage. 1 Corinthians 1. Spiritual things are foolishness. But the man who has, a woman has the Spirit, what? We judge all things. Because we judge through the mind of Christ, which is revealed in the Scripture. Well, <clears throat> you have Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh. Lawlessness in 1 Timothy. I think you get the picture. Okay? So we don't do a comprehensive job, but there's a start. But what about regenerate people? Look at the Old Testament. Psalm 1, go back to that. Okay, What does that person do? It's not just an outward action, right? He what? Where she meditates what? On God's Word. Who is God? Who am I? What's wrong with me? How does God set that straight? You know, for the Jews, it was all symbolic, but, you know, it pointed to Christ. But morning and evening evening and morning sacrifices, right? Peace offerings, sin offerings, whole burnt offerings. Do you get the picture? All of this is to say, this is life under Christ. This, this is, the law comes through Moses, nothing wrong with the law, but it can't save. Jesus, what? Mo- law comes through Moses, but, John 1, grace and truth come through Jesus. There's no pitting of the law against grace. The point is, the law is the shadow. 
Jesus is the reality. See, when it says grace and truth, don't think the law was a lie. No, no, no. The reality is here. See? So Christ fulfills that. The law keeper. And who is the quintessential law keeper? I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And, as Romans 8 says, so that the law can be what? Fulfilled in you. Your justification doesn't come from the fruit of the Spirit, but it's proof of your justification because sanctification always goes with justification. So a person who's at peace with God will fellowship. John 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide in my love just as I've kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. See, so there's that cycle. Okay? And, and that's the law keeper. Okay? Wisdom literature. The opposite. It is the exact opposite of the wicked, the sinner, the evil, the scoffer. Is what? The person who's humble. Who is teachable. You know, who learns. The one who says, okay, mom and dad, I'm just a dumb kid. Lay God's truth on me. I don't know if your kids came out like that. Mine didn't. (laughs) But as all my pastoral interns reminded me, just consider the source. (laughs) What's the truth? Be honest. You parents got to be honest, right? Isn't it frightening to see your sins really reflected in your kids? And all the times you said, man, my dad did that. I'm never going to do that, right? And guess what? You done it. See? Uh, so pride comes before a fall. But here's the thing. We have the law of God in our hearts. The wisdom literature, especially Proverbs, has this antithesis. You go right, you go right through the Proverbs. It pounds it and pounds it and pounds it. And by the way, Proverbs is so wonderful. It's not a seminar on that, but you know, it's, it's, right, out of, it's right out of Escondido in 2012, right? What does Solomon tell his sons to, to avoid? Gang bangers and fast broads. Oh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> sleazy, sleazy ladies. Sorry, excuse me. Strange ladies. Right? Go, go, go through the first nine chapters. That is. Hey, when they tell you, let's go beat people up and we'll get a lot of loot. He says, don't when sinners entice you, don't give in. And boy, the ladies really get pounded, right? Oh, I, I love it, you know. They didn't say it in the seminar. What's a woman who's got a lot of good looks but has no wisdom? That's a pig with a gold ring in its snout, okay? You know, really, seriously, that's two images. You help guys with pornography. I throw this one in for free. You know, just say, you look at a lady, and if she's not dressed right, you got to see a pig with a gold ring in its snout. Or more, uh, you know, in the, you know, proverb sense, just look at her like she's a cadaver. We, now, we got all these pictures, right? You know, vampires. Or, just picture this beautiful woman with the flesh kind of melting off her like a zombie, you know, with bad garlic breath. <laughs> now, if that doesn't turn the guy off, nothing will. But my bottom line... But that's what Proverbs says, right? Right? See, that works for guys. So just keep that one, okay? Now, on the good side is what you got to do. The ladies that are dressed properly, you got, you got to pray for them. Yeah? But see, that's what Proverbs is doing. 
How do you respond? And just like Tim Lane and others have been trying to say, what's your heart attitude in response to it? See, that's your personality. Do I live in the presence of God to please Him, or do I try to please myself and use God? See, those are the, I think those are the paradigms of personality that really run through the Scripture. So in the New Testament, turn with me, I think you'll get this. You know, what's the godly? I think the Beatitudes kind of nail it. Yeah. What kind of personality should you have or personality that pleases God? Now, you can infer the opposite, right? Well, the first thing is, blessed are the poor in spirit. You want to please God. What personality? I've never read any personality inventory goes poverty of spirit. Well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, man, people tell you, that's bad for you. Man, be happy. Don't worry. Uh, Blessed are they that mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Julius Kemp tonight, you know, that whole thing, loving your enemies. It's only loving your enemies that will not only win them for Christ, but will allow you to partake as opposed to being an enemy of God. You see? Uh, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. See? I mean, that's never on anybody's personality trait inventory. Uh, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Righteousness of Christ? And subjective righteousness and growing grace to the Spirit. And you know the rest of it, you know. Blessed are the merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when. See, that's the personality that pleases God. Why? Because those are his kingdom kids. See, so, so instead of uh, uh, worrying about sanguine or, you know, these other kinds of characteristics which are. They're kind of uh, neutral, aren't they? They're, they're not morally freighted categories. Extrovert, introvert. They're not fraught with moral categories like fool, wicked, sinner, adopted child. See, it's a different paradigm. And, and I will tell you, and this is what the guys at CCF have been saying for years, and, and, and Adam's before him. The Bible describes people better than secular psychology. Because secular psychology, even when it stumbles onto things that are true, sees it through a glass darkly. Do I want to see through a glass darkly or do I want to see through the the eyes of Scripture? See, this really tells people. And as uh, uh, Tim Lane last night went through the James 4 passage, remember, went through that. I mean, that one just... I mean, don't, I've never read any psych book that's even close to that. Why, why, do you have, why do you have wars? It's real simple. You covet and kill. You don't have. You don't have because you don't pray. And when you do pray, you pray wrong, and that's why God doesn't give it to you, because you'll consume and die. You're a spiritual adulterer. No, people don't talk in those terms in personality trade inventory. And uh, you know, there's some that might get close... Uh, altruism or things like that, but that's still not centered in the Scriptures. Yes, ma'am? So, just using introvert, extrovert as an example, would you say someone who's walking in the Spirit would be right in the middle? 
and that they're thinking of others more important than themselves so that they're not too extroverted, not too <coughs> They're right in the middle of, you know, the four, it's, it's the four personalities are right in the middle. Or no. No, I'd say they have to be the person that God wants them to be in the particular situation they're in. So in certain situations, God wants Scipione to shut up, zip his lips, sit down and listen. And not be telling people what to do. In other situations, he wants me to be outgoing. Now, here, 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 here's about this. Here's a terrible confession. I'm a minister of the gospel, right? I've been called to call people to Christ. And my friends know this. If I get on a plane, I'd rather be sleeping or not bothered with people, right? Come on. That's, that's a terrible thing for a minister of the gospel to say. That's me. Okay? So what, what do I... I want to get away from people. Why? Because I can still remember when I was a Cub Scout playing my trumpet, my nose bled, and everyone laughed at me. I mean, I'm not making this up, you know. I went and got it stopped, came out, and they laughed again, you know. And I mean, you know, and I never got through Call to Colors in junior high school before 500 people, you know, without blowing the whole thing. I mean, I have all those memories, okay? People would have said, you're introverted and shy. Guess what? I was a scared, selfish person because I don't care about people. If you told me you'd be preaching in front of people like this, or pre- I'd have gone in my pants. <laughs> I'm serious. I would have never done that. The last thing I want God to do is to call me to be a preacher, okay? But all those memories, that's real. But guess what? I look back now, I was protecting me. I wasn't thinking about the other people. Okay? God wanted me to be bold, and I was introverted because of pride, fear, etc., etc., etc. So in the situation, I should be bold and I step back. Other situations, and this is true, I can tell you five people over the last three years I've had to go ask forgiveness for. And say to them, I was just totally wicked and wrong. Why'd you do it? Because I'm a wicked sinner. Why'd you do it? I don't understand. Do you want to understand? Because I'm proud and you were making an ass of yourself and I wanted to prove it to you. You know, and, and it wasn't godly. Now there I was bold. And one of them in particular wasn't even my point. I was walking by. It was one student making a fool of himself to other students and I had to go say something. You know, but see my point? There I was outgoing when I should have shut up and not said a stinking word. I should have gone and prayed. So, you see, this whole scale gets inverted because here's the deal. I I, I still have things, you know, that I do that I don't understand if I'm doing the right thing or not. The other day I got out. One girl was beating up another girl. I was going through the hood, you know, going home the roughest hood in in, in San Diego. I mean, San Diego and and Pittsburgh, you know. I get out the car and and a, a guy comes up, starts stomping her. So I go up to start grabbing him, and he turns around and grabs me, starts cursing at me and everything else. And I'm thinking, well, am I doing the right thing here? Am I going to start a riot? Okay, you know, the hood's not where I usually spend my time, but, you know, I don't like people getting stomped like that. But sitting back now, I'm still not ethically sure I did the right thing. But all I could remember is, hey, if this girl gets killed, and I've seen it, and I didn't do something about it, shame on Scipione, Okay. And, and God gave me peace, because when I turned and walked away, I said, no, I'm not going to start a riot, okay? I'm going to walk away. She got up off the ground, I walked away, and somebody slapped me upside the head. 
You know, I didn't turn around and start a fire. I still don't know about those things. And I look back at that and go, was that godly wisdom or was that folly? And, and nobody really can tell me to this day whether I did the right thing or not. But see, so, to be honest with me, that kind of stuff, just, I look at it and go, okay, it can be helpful, but it's not. See, maybe it's because I'm so messed up. I'm worse than, like I said, Lane. I, I was director before he was, so I created those sins before he ever did. Uh, but, but those things don't help me. You know, be more of an, ex, you know, an extrovert. It simply said, what does God want me to do, and, and can He help me to do it with the right spirit? You know, I want to do what God wants me to do for the reasons He wants me to do it, and in His way. For his glory and the good of other people. That's the best that I can do. Yes, ma'am. I'm having trouble understanding the difference between personalities and dealing with identity because the teaching on that that's being presented now deals with our our relationship with God, our view of ourselves, and the characters that qualities that come out of it. What's the difference? I don't think there is, because my identity is in Christ and, and uh and whether I'm an outgoing person or not is a minor issue, I think, compared to whether I'm evidencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. You know, there's other things that are more skills. You know, I'm not good at math, and I think you know, every bridge would fall apart if I ever was the engineer that tried to do it. And that's a different kind of set of skills. You know, people might develop. But if the personality is here's. Here's uh, Scipione's silliness, but uh, what is normality? There's only one normal person that ever lived. That is Jesus Christ. And man, woman, boy or girl, that's my goal is to be like Christ. And, and to take on his characteristics. Now it's interesting because there's not a computer readout in every particular situation or, or, or whatever. But we certainly know he put the disciples first, he put other people first. We have those general categories. And by the way, that goes across male-female. You know, it's generically we need to be like Jesus Christ. So in those kinds of things, I'm not concerned about a person's personality. I'm concerned more about their godliness. Because it seems to me those characteristics right there in the Beatitudes and roll over to the opposite of the deeds of the flesh are the fruits of the Spirit. See, those are the kinds of personality qualities or traits I think that God is concerned about, not these other things. So again, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but, but that's my response. And you respond differently in different situations, etc. So to kind of wrap this up, the wisdom literature, especially Proverbs, has the antithesis, the prophets, the heart of flesh versus the heart of stone the circumcised heart in the New Testament, Beatitudes, fruit of the Spirit. These are the observable traits or tendencies underneath these two heart, inner man, non-observable mega-categories. You can't see a heart of flesh, a heart of stone. You, you, You can't know another person's heart. In fact, dearly beloved, you can't know your own heart. All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, but God weighs the motives of the heart or spirit. You know, it's used, uh, there's two different proverbs interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. But again, remember, uh, yes it is, but we've got a new heart. And that's, that's another theological issue. 
that I think we need to hammer out. <clears throat> yes, we have remnant of sin. And see, and this is where guys went after Jay, saying Jay's view of Sarks is wrong. But, you know, here's the thing. Jay goes, you got only one heart. You, only, you have a new nature. You have old stuff that's left over. And maybe that hasn't been defined correctly. But, you know, if you're regenerate, you know, that's what, we're, that's what Julius is trying to say. No, you have a new identity. You are a new person. You can do these things. You have to be who you are in Christ. And if, if that's not true, you can't make progress. All we're doing is playing a head game. And we're not doing a head game here. <clears throat> so that's a really interesting thing. And, and Christian theology has wrestled over the last 200 years. Do you still have two natures? People, most people say, yeah, you have an old nature and a new nature. Well, do you? Do you really have one heart or two hearts? See, 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 these are exegetical questions that I don't think have been totally nailed down, and that's part of the whole personality package. And uh, I'm not sure I'm the guy that's going to be able to nail them all. But yeah, there's no perfection. See, so we have to, we have to, we have to make room for why do we continue to sin? Right, but see, but that's the question. Okay, you ought to be making progress. Well, anyway. Certainly, there is a major need for modern exegetical biblical psychology. <clears throat> I take all the stuff that I don't think people have really got nailed down real well and try to deal with it in a demon course, you know, back at RPTS. Because <clears throat> I want to produce theologians that will think biblically and, and really help us in some of these areas that really maybe haven't been nailed down. But to go back to the secular issue, okay, what's personality? how much you do or do not reflect God. The unregenerate person cannot reflect God because they've got the wrong treasure. You and I can, and our personalities actually ought to change. And I'll say this now, and I tell people all the time, especially depressed people, fearful people, where I've been suicidal and all that stuff, and hey, won't live that way anymore. So the bottom line is, if i got problems... I got to figure out how to solve them by God's grace. You know, so if I got colitis, I still have to make calls on my sheep. I may have to take a gym bag with a a, a diaper bag in it <clears throat> and a change of clothes or whatever. But the fact that is, if I'm going to mess my pants, can't keep me from being a faithful pastor. I got to go wash up and go finish the job. I can't allow the fact of embarrassment to keep me from going doing a job that I've got to do. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? I tell people, well, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? I'm going to have a panic attack at church. <laughs> so what's the worst thing that can happen to you? I could die. Well, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> what better place to die than in church with God's people? <laughs> then you can have a memorial service right away. <clears throat> Saves all the extra stuff. I mean, come on, you think, you think of it in God's perspective, okay? Look, here uh, we, we allow ourselves to be put into the world's mold. So let me finish up. You might want to ask more questions. People paradigms, I think, set the agenda and boundaries of counseling theories and practice. So Al Port and others are going to extrovert, introvert. Where are you going to get on this scale? Do whatever. Okay. Much is at stake for us as counselors and counselees. Glories of God is on the line. Man's salvation is on the line. Therefore, you must choose, I think, which God you will serve and which paradigm of personality will guide and shape your counseling. There's so many well-meaning Christians that are running uh, 
other Christians through personality tests that have been designed and run by non-Christians and are dealing with traits that are not demanded or forbidden or whatever in Scripture. And I'm going, what a waste of time. Why don't you get down to the heart, hands, and that's my paradigm, and I'll end with that. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your patient spirit be known with all God is at hand. What? Everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. A grateful heart instead of a grumbling heart. Finally, whatsoever things are true. My husband is a jerk. Okay, yeah. Is he lovely? No. Okay, we can't think about that, okay? <laughs> you know? Uh, only at 8 o'clock when you're with your prayer partner and coming up with solutions, not the rest of the time, okay? So proper, you know, disciplined mind instead of a dumpster head or mind. And then what? Hands. The things you've seen, heard, learned, received from me. Practice these things. I think Ernie talked about those uh, heart, head, hands, and home. But, you know, uh, I think that's God's paradigm and personal. Well, there it is. Questions before we go. Responses. Yes. In some ways you covered it here, but when somebody comes in for counseling and uh, I'm aware that I tend to be on the more introverted side and this woman comes in who's just controlling. Okay. You know, it's easy to you know put her in the extrovert column and, and I'm gonna wash that out because she may be in her heart very different than what she's acting out. Sure, but she's acting right. out to cover up something. She may be acting out to cover, but at least at this point, you have to start where the person is. Okay. Gently, kindly, you know, why you're doing this, and you know, by the way, I don't want you to bowl me over, you know, uh, etc. And and just form a good relationship if you can, you know, and go from there. But you say, oh, I can't do this because I'm not an extrovert and she's an extrovert, so I've got to pair up with somebody in the church that's as outgoing as her who will talk her, you know, talk her off her, her chair. Ah, okay. Well, you may be... Yeah. Yeah. Roger, you had a... I Just a question about terminology because I'm not that familiar with the secular literature or even the... Uh, but how would you distinguish human personality from human nature? You, are you using those synonymously? Is that the way they get used? Because, I mean, theologians have talked a lot about yes. human nature. Actually, in trait theory, uh, I didn't want to bore you with the details, but there are things like that. Core core characteristics and peripheral ones. You see, and, and people will talk about that. Say, so this is the core of the person's personality, and then they'll pick whatever five or three or four traits that they think are central to a person's characteristics. Then they'll talk about some peripheral ones that may change with circumstances, culture, and other things. And I don't want to denigrate that because culturally there are things that are different and, and we do learn those things and they affect us. Uh, so I don't want to not say that there are things in family or cultures that do affect us. Those things are significant, but they're secondary to the major core value of what makes a human being a human being. And I think, uh, so there is something parallel to that in, uh, 
in secular literature of what's a core value that makes you a person and some of these more peripheral things that change time, circumstances, and culture. But the approach is that these, are, <clears throat> these traits are sort of analyzed statistically. Yes. Okay. Yeah, most trait theory will try to do that. They'll get paper and pencil test to run you through this to try to get you on this scale of, of uh, polar opposites or whatever. You know, or then you get it, you know, again, whether you have the four humors or you have five traits or three, people say this is what makes you, you. And it seems to me, again, everything we've been saying here is what makes you, you is your worship. Who or what you're worshiping. And out of that, habits, habits that develop out of that characteristics, you see. So every child comes out a sinner but not all of them sin in the same way. Now, that's what intrigues American psychologists. And I just throw up my hands and go, okay, your sins aren't my sins, and you developed it different. But, and what makes one twin you know, go to homosexuality, the other one to, to drinking? And you know, those things are interesting, and there may be environmental factors that contribute to that. But when we think about personality, we don't want to take these exterior kind of neutral things and, and try to cram people into that as opposed to the categories that, that Scripture, you know, speak. So, well, okay, let me pray and let you go. Uh, it's a long day, and uh, uh, most of us will be back hopefully early tomorrow for, for the rest of the conference. Father in heaven, we pray that uh, this may trigger some things in people's minds as they're here tonight or others. And, and really begin to wrestle with this again. What is human nature and what are the things that make people <clears throat> who they are? But Lord, these larger categories are really a substrata of how you view people. You view them as sheep and goats. And within those categories, there's people with different gifts and categories. But Lord, as we begin to look at this, help us again not to be scared by the world. Uh, and think that they have some secrets that we don't. Lord, we have the riches of Your Word and Spirit, and help us, Lord, to be bold and to become sophisticated in developing this so that we can really answer people and say, Scriptures really do this better. Not only accurately, but far better. Uh, Bless these people and help us all. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Copyright 2012, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.